The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 2, 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Christ. Thank you, Logan. So here at Christ Prez, we have a vision statement uh, that we've kind of distilled down into three words, worship, connect, and serve that the idea is that the, the picture of a flourishing follower of Jesus Christ, not just a member of Christ's presence, but a flourishing follower of Jesus Christ is somebody who worships the Lord corporately with the church and worships the Lord personally every day with time in the word and prayer, that we would be a people who are connecting to the body of Christ, that, that we find a group within the church and people within the church that we're walking through life with for however long the season is that the Lord has you at your particular local church, that you're connecting there, that you're engaging. It's one of the reasons why it's important for us that we're not poaching people from other churches as a way of growing, is if there are people in this town who have a church that they're connected to and they belong to, stay there. Drill down, connect, get engaged, that this would be a, a, a goal, that, that the follower of Christ would be somebody who would look at their church and plug in and connect, that they would be people who would be looking at those around them who may not have a church home and saying, I want to invite you not just to my church, but I want to invite you into my community. I'll be there, and I'll look for you, and you can connect here, and we'll walk together, and, and that we would be people who would serve. We would serve within the body of Christ. We would serve the church, and we would be people who would serve um, our work, the places where we live, work, and play, you know, that, that we would be engaged in this way. And when you look at all of those things together, it's a picture of a person who is connected. It's a picture of a person who is engaged, and whenever you're connected and engaged, one of the byproducts of that is you come to be known. This is a sticking point for a lot of us because we don't really want to be known. We don't want people knowing our stuff. We don't want people knowing our histories. We, we, we don't necessarily want to know other people either. Like we, 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 full, we get full, you know. I know enough about enough people and I don't want to know anymore. And so there's, there's, a, there's a tension of, of where being a follower of Jesus Christ is more than just occupying a certain cerebral headspace of understanding how doctrine works. And there's a very real relational component which inevitably is a place of vulnerability. And we're called to be vulnerable people. And today's passage is one where we... 
there's, there's family business happening here between Peter, who's Cephas, that's, that's who Cephas is, he's Peter, Simon Peter, and Paul. And they're in a dust-up. And Paul is airing it out in the book of Galatians. So he's calling out Peter. Paul calls out Peter in the book of Galatians. It's part of the canon of Scripture. It's part of the legacy of Paul. It's part of the legacy of Peter. All of that preamble is to say, I want you to consider this morning as we talk about this passage, this simple statement of fact. No one has a simple story. No one has a simple story. We're just coming off of the holidays where many of us gathered with family, and inevitably when you gather with family, relational complexity rises to the surface, and there are things that are just complicated in in those relational connections, things that make us kind of... Thankful that Thanksgiving and Christmas only happen one time a year, right? And we don't have to do this regularly. Scripture is constantly pulling on us to be engaged, to be vulnerable, to be known. It's interesting when you get to know the inner workings of stories. Fascinating little details. I love little details. I'm going to show you a picture here. This, what is this, a picture of? The Sistine Chapel, and who painted that? Michelangelo, good class, you've done very well. <laughs> Did you know Michelangelo hated painting? Hated it. He thought it was, for his words, simple-minded men and Women, his words, not mine. He felt that it was a, uh, an incredibly inferior art form as opposed to sculpture, and sculpture in particular, sculpting marble, um, sculpting stone, because he felt like two dimensions is for kids, three dimensions is where it's at, three dimensions with stone is really where it's at, because if you're doing bronze, you can take away, but you can also add. With stone, all you can do is subtract. And you can't get it wrong because there's no fixing it. So Michelangelo hated painting. And when he laid on the scaffold painting the ceiling, he wrote a letter to a friend saying he felt like he was wasting his life. Did you know? I'll show you another painting. This is just a little detail. What's this? Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. What did Vincent Van Gogh do? Cut off his ear. See, I'm so sad that that's what we say when I ask the question, what did Vincent Van Gogh do? I went to a Van Gogh exhibit in, this is all going somewhere, by the way. I went to a Van Gogh uh, exhibit at a museum. Um, it was one of those where you exit through the gift shop. Uh, and, and it was just all a bunch of cut off ear gags. It was, a, it, was a, it was a coffee mug where the handle was an ear. It was, it was all this stuff and it was just kind of making light after, after you'd gone through this exhibit of his work. Did you know Vincent Van Gogh was deeply ashamed of this painting? He, he did not, this is one of his least favorite paintings that he ever did. 
And it's interesting because it's the one we most know him by. And he was ashamed of it because of the exaggerated stars and moon and all that stuff. You may say, well, that looks like all the others. Not really. This one has kind of an exaggerated motion to it. And he knew what he was doing. When he painted this, paintings like this, this kind of abstract uh, kind of uh, presentation of, of the sky and the water and things like that were selling. And he wanted to sell a painting. He only sold one painting during his lifetime. It wasn't this one. And he painted this and he knew that he was selling out a little bit. And he was ashamed of it and he wrote about that. I love these little narrative details that, that make you think, oh, I thought I, I thought I knew the story or I thought I understood part of what was happening here, but, but there's really something a little bit more complicated. There's more psychosis happening. There's a complex uh, story behind things. I love these little narrative details because what they do is they throw unexpected light onto something that we imagine is just straightforward when it's never straightforward. And so today's passage is one of those. It gives us an example of you have this narrative story where Peter is behaving in a hypocritical way and Paul calls him out on it. And Paul includes it in the book of Galatians, and we're given this little snapshot. But when we pull back and we look at who Peter is, and we look at narrative details that we get from the book of Acts and other places, we realize that this, this, what's, what we're being given here is not so much the story of a confrontation between two people. We're, give, we're being given, really, part of the story of a friendship between two people. Peter makes a public, hypocritical move, and Paul publicly calls him out on it. What's happening here? What's happening between Peter and Paul in this airing of, of dirty laundry? It's a pretty fascinating story. In a nutshell, what happens is this. Some Jewish converts from Jerusalem, they come to Antioch, where Paul is, and Peter is there, and they're serving together in this particular period of time, and Peter because he fears the opinion of these Jewish converts from Jerusalem, he withdraws from eating with Gentiles and instead only sits at the Jewish table. And Paul says, that's hypocrisy. Not only is that hypocrisy, that's condemning behavior. And he calls him out. These men from Jerusalem, they were, they were part of what's called the circumcision party, uh, which this has come up a lot in Galatians, and we're not done talking about the circumcision party, but this is a group of people who claimed that true Christianity must follow Old Testament ceremonial law. And among other things, this meant that men needed to be circumcised, but it also meant that Jews and Gentiles couldn't eat together unless Gentiles agreed to observe Jewish dietary restrictions. So that's what's happening. But we know that the Jerusalem Council in Acts 10 settled the circumcision matter already, that it wasn't required for Gentile converts. It didn't have to happen. And Peter himself, the one who's withdrawing from eating with Gentiles, Peter had already had a vision on a rooftop in Caesarea, remember this is from Acts 10, where he has this vision of a sheet being lowered, and on it are all these different 
animals that people would eat, and some of them were kosher, and some of them were ceremonially unclean, and the Lord says to them, everything is clean now, take and eat. Peter's had this vision already. So Peter already knew that there was no circumcision, and he also already knew there were no dietary restrictions for Jews and Gentiles. He knew this. And what did he do? Initially, he embraced the truth. Not only did he embrace it, he fought for it boldly with his whole heart. He believed that the gospel reached across cultural and political and racial lines, and he championed this truth. That's what Peter did. The truly astonishing thing that Peter did culturally, the really astonishing behavior was that he started to eat with Gentiles in the first place. He had already started doing that. It was a bold step, and it was born out of gospel conviction. But here, in this moment, he reverses his position. Why? Because he felt the weight of the displeasure of others. Have you ever reversed or left quiet a conviction because you feared the displeasure of others? In this Worship Connect Serve motif, when you fear the displeasure of others, you will be a guarded person. You will say, I'm not going to let myself risk being known. And so I'm just either going to go along with other things or I'm going to keep quiet about what I really believe. He, he feels the displeasure of those who are saying, you're, you're one of us. You're not one of them. And this played into that deep longing that we all have to belong. You feel that, right? A longing to belong. And we'll do almost anything to belong. We'll say almost anything to belong. We'll concede almost anything to belong. At any given moment, the point is, at any given moment, any of us could fold. I've done it. Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times I've done it. Where I've known this would be a great moment for me to do this. But instead, what I'm going to do is absolutely nothing because I'm afraid. Let's talk about Peter for a second here. Let's remember who he is. Because he's, this, he's a complicated person in Scripture. Everybody is. Nobody has a simple story. He's a complicated person. His spiritual growth was not a straight line moving up. It wasn't. It, it was all over the map. And, and this particular misstep, I, for me, I find it strangely encouraging. Because who was he? When, when Peter first met Jesus, he was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, you come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter left everything behind and followed Jesus. And he was not only one of the first and closest disciples, he was one of Jesus' best friends. When you read the gospel narratives, you see Peter is the one who is closest to Jesus. He's in that inner circle with Peter and James. 
or with James and John, sorry. It was Peter, James, and John. When you also read the Gospels, you see Peter has a temper. He has a temper. He has an ego. And he routinely says things that Jesus rebukes him for, right? So for example, Jesus said, I have to go to the cross, lay down my life, and, you know, take it up again. And Jesus' response to that is, no, never. May it never be so. To which Jesus says to Peter, you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. Right? Let's not forget that Peter also denied Jesus in his greatest hour of need, just before the crucifixion, something that he swore to Jesus and to all his friends that he was incapable of doing, and yet he folded. But also let's not forget that Jesus reinstated him days later on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, asking Peter if he loved him. And he asked him that three times, that question, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? That third time, I always think of that scene at, uh, in um, uh, Goodwill Hunting. If you've ever seen that movie where Robin Williams' character is saying to Matt Damon's character, it's not your fault. And, there, and, every, and he just keeps repeating, it's not your fault. It's talking about this unimaginable abuse that he experienced when he was a kid. And every time he says it, it's like he's just hitting him with a hammer, breaking through that hard shell. And there's a part of me, I feel like part of what Jesus is doing with asking Peter three times, do you love me, after he's denied knowing him, is he's breaking through to him. And what's he breaking through? That Peter would hear the truth of his own confession, yes, I love you. It's true. It's actually true. I do love you. I deny you, and I also love you. God help me, here I stand. No one has a simple story. No one has a simple story. Nobody is always on or always off. No one has a simple story. Jesus reinstates Peter by asking him the question that Peter is giving a true answer. You know that I love you. Will you stop asking me that? It's it's getting to me. And Jesus said, then go feed my sheep. He reinstates him to the thing he called him to do from the very beginning, knowing that Peter once tried to talk Jesus out of dying and being raised, that Jesus, that Peter then pretended he didn't know Jesus while he was being crucified. Jesus reinstates him. It was Peter who, when Jesus asked the 12 who they thought he was, he's the one who said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And to this... Jesus said that he would be part of the church's legacy forever. Peter was no straight arrow. He was a wild card. He was a complex paradox of truth and deception. And so he was like us. He was like you and he was like me. We're riddles. We're complex. We're duplicitous. Just like Peter We genuinely believe things and at the same time try to distance ourselves from them publicly. We profess beliefs and we betray those beliefs daily. There is no question that Peter 
truly believed the gospel. He gives his life to it. He's martyred for it. He travels the world because of it. He pours out his life for the sake of carrying on the ministry that was left to him by his best friend, Jesus Christ. It cannot be denied. Peter was not a fraud. But he struggled. And one of the things he struggled with was hypocrisy. Where have you been a hypocrite lately? Where have you, out of a fear of being rejected or in an attempt to be accepted, embraced or done what you know you don't really agree with? In today's passage, we find Peter in one of his moments. Yet again, he's denying Christ for fear of man. And I find it profoundly encouraging because Peter's pride and his fear, though they crept in often, didn't disqualify him from Jesus' call on his life. If Jesus didn't reject Peter, neither will he run out of patience with the rest of his duplicitous, man-fearing followers. If Jesus didn't reject Peter for his hypocrisy, neither will he reject you for yours. So take heart. There's another side to this coin. It was hypocrisy. And Paul wasn't having any of it. (laughs) And it's important for us to see why. That the end of the story can't be, Jesus doesn't reject me in spite of my hypocrisy, period. That's the gospel. But we need to care about the hypocrisy part. Paul he sees Peter's sin as a public sin. Peter is modeling for other young Christians how to live. And so Paul goes on record publicly as well to respond to it. Paul was right to do this. And it's important for us to hear. It wasn't that Peter's behavior was simply inhospitable. It was that his behavior was, quote, not in step with the truth of the gospel. Why did Paul go to the mat with Peter? For three reasons. First is this, the gospel is at stake. The gospel's at stake here. See what Paul says in verse 14. He says, this conduct is not in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no Jew or Greek in Jesus. To show favoritism to the Jews could only be born out of this idea That God loved the Jews more than he loved the Gentiles. And that would undermine the entire saving work of Christ. You can't say that God loves one race of people more than he loves another. One cultural group of people more than he loves another. 
can't do that. The second reason is because Peter's behavior was hypocrisy, not conviction. It wasn't that Peter was embracing a false doctrinal point. It was that he was living in contradiction to what he actually believed. Peter didn't favor the Jews because he had a change of opinion. He was acting out of fear. And Paul calls it hypocrisy, which is a word for play acting, right? As you're pretending. You're just trying to get through the moment unscathed. And Peter was acting from a place of insincerity and from a place of a fear of man, not personal conviction. And Paul makes this clear that this was not just a difference of opinion between the two men. Peter stood condemned by his actions, Paul said. And the sobering truth is his actions had consequences. What were the consequences? Others followed him. Others followed him. And the thing is, Peter knew he was wrong. He knew he was wrong. The third reason Paul goes to the mat is because Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas have a personal history on this matter. And Barnabas starts doing what Peter is doing. Paul tells us that even Barnabas was led astray by Peter's hypocrisy. And we need to understand that this was astonishing to Paul. It was an et to Barnabas moment, right? Because they had been through this. They had fought for grace plus nothing together. They had fought for that truth that makes the gospel good news. They traveled together to Jerusalem to settle the question with the apostles. And the answer that the apostles gave, including Peter, was that God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile and that he cleanses the heart of both by grace through faith in Christ alone and nothing else. And Paul and Barnabas and all of the others rejoiced in this encouragement. But now in our context, Barnabas and Paul had seen the gospel perverted and as a unified front, they had stood to uphold the truth And the cannonball to the gut for Paul was that Barnabas, his dear friend in ministry, who had not only labored beside him, but had fought for the purity of the gospel, who had stood in opposition to false teachers, who had summoned the Jerusalem council to convene to get a definitive answer on whether there was any distinction between Jew and Gentile in Christ. Now he was joining in Peter's hypocrisy. And it had to hurt Paul's heart because they'd been through so much together on this point. And Barnabas had a history of standing with Paul, of being courageous with Paul. And there was no one that Paul owed more to than Barnabas. And yet, over a matter both of them were intimately familiar with theologically, Barnabas stood with Peter in the wrong. And Paul knew, Barnabas knew it was wrong. Can you see the importance of the fight? Paul is not just fighting against Peter's behavior. He is fighting for Peter's heart. He's fighting for Barnabas' heart too. And he's fighting for the hearts of anyone who would be tempted to say, I want to be with the people who are best. We do this for each other sometimes, don't we? We have this done for us where people fight for our hearts. They push. They challenge. They speak the observation of hypocrisy out loud that they observe in us. 
the gospel leads with truth that apart from Christ, we're all weak, we're all sinful outcasts. There is no us and them hierarchy. God does not have favorites. And our attempts to find an us versus them dichotomy is often based in fear. And it often undermines the freedom that is ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the beauty of the gospel is that we have a Savior who redeems us by His grace and restores us to God even though we don't deserve it. This is the kindness of God toward us. He doesn't just also love us, but He loves certain others more. He loves us every bit as much as He loves anybody else. Perfectly, fully. We're not as strong as we think we are. You have it in you to fold. You have it in you to behave in a completely hypocritical way. And I don't need to tell you that because you already do that. And so do I, right? We do that. We behave in hypocritical ways, and we know it. If we're honest, sometimes we'll just not look in that corner. We won't look in that closet. But, but we will behave in hypocritical ways. We have it in us to do this. And one of the questions that rattles around in our hearts is, if this comes to light, am I done? Am I put outside of the community? Because what God really wants is people who don't do that and who people do this other thing over here. And he wants the people who behave and the people who are consistent and he wants the people who are not like me. You know what happens after this passage in Galatians? Peter continues as an apostle. He travels the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He writes 1 Peter. He writes 2 Peter. He writes other things. And he's crucified. And the, the, the legend, the story, it's, we, we don't know, but it's the story. It's the, it's, the, it's the legend. Is that when Peter found that he was going to be crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself to be worthy of dying in the same manner as his Lord. And the legend goes that that wish was granted. So, face your hypocrisy with hope. God knows it. He reads it like a book. And in his kindness to us, your hypocrisy is not written about explicitly in the canon of Scripture like Peter's is. But it's there to show us and to remind us that God redeems and restores and works through hypocrites. And he also calls a spade a spade. He calls hypocrisy hypocrisy. And he fights against it. Not because he's fighting against us, but because he's fighting for us. So face your hypocrisy with hope. Be honest about it. Because what is a community that is worshiping together and connecting with each other and serving one another need? We need to know each other, and we need to know each other's stories, and we need to know that each other's stories are stories 
where we are filled with all kinds of reason to be judged and to be condemned, and instead what's put upon us is the righteousness of Christ. And the favor of God rests on His people. It tells us that God has a plan for your life that you can't ruin because it isn't your story that he's telling. It's his story that he's telling. And his story is populated with people like Simon Peter, who denied Jesus in his hour of need. King David, who was a murderer and adulterer. Jacob, who was a deceiver. Moses, who had a temper. The list goes on, right? Paul the Apostle, who was committed to seeing Christianity extinguished by way of killing its adherents. God works. His plan is to not cast away every hypocritical person and say, I'm done with you. His plan is to restore. It's to restore all that's broken in this world. It is true. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to turn Bible characters into cartoon characters, people who are one note. Uh, They're always grumpy or they're always smiling or they're always this or they're always that. And the truth is they're like us and no one has a simple story. We are complex people. Even in talking about hypocrisy here in this room, in talking about duplicity, I would venture that most of us thought of things about ourselves that we've never told anybody. Things that we fear would just ruin our lives. And Lord, for many of those things, there are consequences. There are, there, are, there are consequences that come. And yet at the same time, we are not able to sin so much that it cancels the power of your grace toward us in Christ. Because his righteousness is greater, his love is more, his mercy is more. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Make us to be a people who follow you and we follow you together Uh, Thank you for the gift of Advent this season where we remember and we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. And we thank, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for not kicking Simon Peter to the curb for his hypocrisy. Thank you for not making the Apostle Paul a person who all he ever does is speak harsh words, but that he has this tender side of knowing and resting in the mercy and the grace that is given so freely. We're thankful for your kindness to us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.